0: From the Lucha Podcast Network, this is the Mass Startup Podcast. The Mass Startup Podcast profiles the most talented creators, impactful entrepreneurs, and high-performing professionals with the purpose to drive insights, learnings, and tactics to help you build the things that you believe in.
1: I'm Mike Sharman, and I'm the Chief Creative Officer of Retroviral, and we're the digital agency that's made more brands go viral globally than any other agency in Africa. That's a
0: powerful statement. Where does it actually all begin?
1: So Retroviral was launched in 2010, pretty much around the, ta- uh, pretty much around the time of the, the Football World Cup. And I'd been working in London for two years prior. And I'd, be- I'd become very obsessed with social media. I was taking the tube and buses to work every day. I was working in a digital PR agency. And so much of that world was being consumed by what was happening on social? How do we incorporate Twitter, Facebook, and all the various other channels that were exploding into our campaigns where earned media was gold? And at the time, I was fortunately exposed to so many interesting brands. Like I worked on LG. They were Fulham's shirt sponsor at the time. Yeah. used to spend a lot of time at Craven Cottage at uh, the Emirates because they were a mobile partner to Arsenal. And they even had a sponsorship with the Birmingham Arena. So it was taking journalists to go and watch The Killers, going down to Newquay Beach when they sponsored surfing tournaments. So there was all kinds of different opportunities to really get involved with brands and how they engaged with people at an emotional sponsorship level and also what that tech product meant, whether it was Blu-ray or HDTVs and all that kind of stuff. So for me, there was a real opportunity to say, this is the stuff that I'm exposed to, but I believe that there's a real gap in what we call the digital uh, holy trinity or Mm. the holy trinity of marketing and that's effectively digital pr and activation and Mm. at the time the more digitally savvy we were becoming and it even extends into our current day the more digitally savvy we become the more we crave human interaction that's why we're yeah. sitting here today. I don't want to do this over a Zoom. How's boring. <laughs> I want to see your beautiful face when you're smiling or you laugh at something ridiculous yeah, that I have yeah. to say. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. We've lost so many touch points and, and, and beautiful one-on-one moments. And then that was obviously exacerbated during the 2020s and, mm. and all the lockdown procedures. But here we are in this world where it's the, the human interaction, it's the engagement. And then how do you take that engagement? How do you push it digitally and how do you generate the PR so that other people can share in those physical experiences, them watching the mirror to the physical experience, that's where so much more emotion and joy comes from. Hmm. And when you plug into that emotion, that's when people start connecting with a brand, seeing a, a mirror of yourself in what that brand represents and ultimately driving sales. And in those early 2010s, when we launched, we... We hyper-focused on amplification. You couldn't buy Facebook ads. You couldn't run pre-rolls. There was none of this advertising interruption stuff. So we disrupted by amplifying content that was remarkable.
0: Mm. How difficult was it to really, you know, talk about this new world where you needed to integrate the online stuff, the digital stuff with the activations that were happening on the ground? And how easy was it to really communicate this to brands? Say, hey, it's not just about the thing that you're gonna do at the stadium, but you actually need to connect that somehow to what's happening online.
1: I think that brands had noticed the explosion of things like Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and there was this real interest and willingness. And at the time, a lot of these digital agencies were popping up, and mm. so many inverted commas influencers were starting to appear. Like we've obviously been, we've been operating since pre-influencer marketing trend and naming convention so people could see these things were happening some of them were a little bit more bold others were a little bit more skeptical marketers generally a little bit more risk averse and, and mm. happy to sticking to the media plan of what they know but when we were able to get in front of the right people for me network is your net worth like so many people evangelize nowadays yeah and through twitter met a lot of journalists and a lot of early adopters uh, met a lot of bloggers and and early stage influencers at the time And by speaking with people and saying, this is what we're planning on doing, managed to get a foot in the door at some really decent brands. One was through Ogilvy at Miller, and they Mm. were running this Rock the Boat competition where they had events and parties and DJs, and then that almost transcended into a a cruise up to Maputo. And then Nando's was was kind of like our big, it was our breakthrough moment, Mm. because I was walking around in my jeans and my flip-flops, thinking I was like a Zuckerberg wannabe, (laughs) and... For me, because I'd never worked in traditional advertising, I'd never really fitted into that box. Like I'd worked in traditional comms and PR and I studied a marketing degree, so I had the basis and a foundation, but... It was going in there and backing myself and saying, like, I've been experimenting on social now for two or three years. I know the things that are working. I was obsessed with analytics. So mm-hmm. I could see what the type of content drivers and levers that were pulling people to actually watch and engage with content, watching a hell of a lot of, of YouTube content. My brain is like one big Rolodex of references. And I would go into those meetings and I'd listen to the brief. I'd listen to what the strategy is. And I've always been quite fortunate to be almost this hybrid business creative guy like I think about the strategy of the business I think about what they're trying to achieve and also being an entrepreneur you can almost empathize with what the brand is trying to achieve from a cash flow and from a revenue and EBITDA perspective and then understanding those things how do we put that creative layer on top to generate a result that's going to emotionally connect with the creative and then rationally drive the sales and then report on both awareness and how many people saw our tweets but also Was there an action? Was there a drive to store? Was there a drive to your website? Like, where are the worlds of metrics that we can plug in here? So, it's almost taking the left-right brain principles and just smushing them together. Yeah. What are the
0: challenges that you guys had to overcome, you know, trying to do this in South Africa specifically? And having exposure to what's happening, you know, across the globe, obviously, we're a bit behind when it comes to the digital world, access to technology, access to data. What are the unique challenges that, that you faced, you know, establishing a company like this that had this focus in South Africa specifically?
1: You know, people talk about shooting a shot, but you can't shoot a shot if no one's given you the ball, right? <laughs> yeah. I think that that's so many of us that will be faced. That's the challenge is like, how do we get onto the court? How do we get the play? How do we get the car- option? Coach, put me in. And for me, I kind of used my own personal self. Almost as like a guinea pig brand to almost evangelize mm. and talk the the talk and, and walk the talk in terms of the stuff that I was saying. And 2010 was a wild year for me. In early part of um, coming back from England, which was World Cup, all the zaminamina, amazing times. And then after that, in the September, I was involved in a pretty hectic armed robbery. And for me, off the back of that, I documented the journey. I wrote, wrote about it on my blog. And my blog—it sounds so lame, sounds um, so old—is what old. it is. Yeah, it <laughs> sounds so boomer. And the amount of like support that I got from that—I said I'm not going to let four evil people ruin my view on South Africa. Like I came back for a specific reason. I could have stayed on in the UK; I had an extended visa. But I came back because. You were looking at the expansion and explosion of broadband. You were looking at ways that people were now connecting via mobile quicker than ever. You could see the data, not just in South Africa, but in Kenya, in Nigeria, in Tanzania, all these other African markets. There was this real like, proliferation of, of mobile penetration. And I came back because of the, the broadband opportunities. And then all these fly-by-night digital agencies that were popping up from people that had a few thousand Twitter followers. And, and for me... In 2010, that first year, I could pick up some work just through the networking and Skyping people and chatting to people on Twitter. And then something terrible would happen. Then it would become almost like my own personal brand story and my own like my ice-breaking moment going mm. into meetings. Shortly after that, I won an iPhone on Twitter. When Afrihost first started on Twitter, they used to do these, these regular giveaways. Yeah. And I'm not sure, even to this day, I'm not sure if they felt sorry for me because they saw the story mm-hmm. or if I like actually won that iPhone, but it kind of got me back into a little bit of swagger saying I could be knocked down, but he has a little bit of good fortune. I'm back on it. And I think it's a really good metaphor for entrepreneurship is that you're going to have those terrible super lows and then you come out of the gates and sometimes you hit those super highs and it's about finding those middle grounds. And for me, momentum is the best word and the best phrase to describe it because you can get one or two W's on the board. Then suddenly you start walking with a swagger. You've got the confidence. You back yourself. And shortly after that moment, Nando said to us, listen, we want to play on social. We're not really sure what we're wanting to do, but we've got this campaign coming out and we want you to work on it. And before that, they called me up last minute. And I was working with a friend of mine, Melissa Atry, at the time. And they said to us, like, we've got this idea for one of our iconic posters. And those posters that we see nowadays on social, it was a different world back in 2010. And Anders was still buying full-page ads in newspapers like the and City Press, Sunday Times. So, if something happened and was like uh, an old-school trending topic... They would come up with an idea, then they'd buy the media space, then they'd publish it on a Sunday. So this could have taken five or six days to come to fruition. <laughs> yeah. Nowadays, old news, right? So they had an idea because Twitter was exploding. People were creating fake accounts, and they were they're creating pseudonyms of politicians and all kinds of things. People were just having a laugh. And there were a huge, There was an influx of Julius Malema Twitter accounts, and he was still with the Youth League, and he put out a tweet might have been him might have been one of the fake accounts but he said like he really wants to close down twitter because you know it's ridiculous that there's all these fake accounts and nando's poster was just perfect timing as they're so good at with their tactical marketing and it spoke about you know closing it was wtf juju lol and it's like if you've got beef with this bird you should rather choose this bird and it was all about <laughs> like coming and choosing a nando's meal over yeah. letting this bluebird you know beef you and That poster was incredible because we were given it on a Friday. We distributed it to bloggers and influencers and all these old school people and also one or two key journalists that we had relationships with. And that got so many impressions on a Friday afternoon that it was almost the perfect catalyst to show Nando's that you could generate earned media from a really remarkable piece of copywriting Mm. or doing the things that they were so good at, but just taking it into new channels. And that was almost like this aha moment for them, which then became a really great anchor client that we could then branch out with and work on ad hoc projects later in the year. After having signed NDAs, we worked on the spoof campaign where Kakiso Ladika was almost a spoof campaign of a Salsi campaign Mm. that used Trevor Noah as the CEO when Trevor was starting to explode. And the Kakiso story was all around 5G's five great sources and how you could come (laughs) into that and he was the CEO the chicken excellence officer so what was incredible about that I even got one of the posters here in the office still we got 23,000 views 23,000 views in three days Mm. which at the time was like wow that is proper viral there were even people saying wow this is a perfect opportunity to prove that viral can exist in South Africa and I think You know, people say to me, like, that was pretty ballsy, putting your head on the line, saying, let's call a business with the word viral in, where a lot of people are like, you know, what is the actual subjectivity and objectivity around viral? And just stuck to our guns. And I think that's where we've just absolutely backed ourselves from day one. It was the Nando stuff. Then a year later, it was working with Black River on the amplification and seeding of the last dictator campaign, which ended up getting a million views in a day, you know, Mm. going global around the world. People like Stephen Fry, Time, Huffington Post, Perez Hilton was massive at the time. All these people and influencers were sharing this content, and that went on to win uh, a bronze lion at Cannes. And I don't even know what Cannes was. I mean, it was so like naive to this whole world. But we continued to back ourselves and use this almost like scientific execution around virality. Remarkable content first, then you seed it to the right audience and the right people. And if you just hound and you connect those dots, and with my background in PR thinking how do you get those stories onto places like the news, radio, digital newspapers, et cetera, you can almost engineer that talkability if you've got the right network to plug in, coming back to the start of our conversation. Mm. Network, net worth, and true virality. And I think that's where we've just gone on this journey. And And for me, I'm always of this huge opinion that as entrepreneurs, we don't always know what we're doing. We don't know what we don't know. And there's a fine line between... Lying to a client and saying you can do something that you know that you cannot. But in some instances, something doesn't exist tomorrow. Mm. And you have to create it. You have to pioneer it. And if you can be honest and you can articulate, I've never done something like this before, but I back myself to achieve this. So many brands and individuals will buy into you for your confidence. And that's what shooting a shot is all about. Is not always knowing if you're going to hit the three-pointer, but (laughs) it's important (laughs) to just
0: go for it. That's true. You talk about just the process to getting like this very tactical advertising out there with Nando's back in the day and the process that we would take the five days, the thinking about it, the copywriting, the submitting to newspapers, that's all very manual, right? And now in this digital world, you can almost do it instantly where, you know, if something's to- being talked about at nine o'clock, if your team's agile enough and like the creative is crazy enough, it can be out at 12, or whatever it is, you know. That's not easy. You know, being the person that can consistently talk to a subject matter but also be leading the conversation. What do brands need to be thinking about to really become, you know, that sort of the, that sort of organization?
1: I think the agility is really it stems from the freedom to communicate. Mm. I mean, that sounds like blatantly obvious, but in our organization here, there's probably about 20 people, different backgrounds, cultures, shapes, sizes, languages, and even on our retroviral work group alone, if something's happening, if something's trending, if it starts snowing, people will start throwing out ideas because they know their brands incredibly well. And then they have the opportunity to say, hey, this thing can connect with this tactical zeitgeist topical moment. Mm. Perfect opportunity. A few days ago, uh, it started snowing in Johannesburg. And it wasn't just like the flaky stuff that hits the ground and then melts and then it's done. I mean, that's (laughs) what we're expecting here if if we ever see a bit of snowfall. But... We work a lot with Donovan Goliath. He put out a video talking about how it isn't snow. It's basically pup from the sky. And it's thanks to UESA. This is an UESA activation that's going to win a Lurie. So, Big up UESA number one. (laughs) I'll send you the clip so that you can overlay it if you want to show (laughs) show the viewers. But ultimately, that stuff doesn't happen if you don't have the ability to communicate and if you don't have trust from your client. And the fact that you can get something out that quickly... It's about knowing your brand so well that people are going to take this with the right humor intended. Yes, there is the opportunity that you can fail. You can come across as tone deaf. You can miss the mark. You can come across as too brandy. And then people like, reject that kind of thing. But Donovan's video got like 250,000 views mm. on Instagram and TikTok. And the amount of PR that was generated off the back of that, I think we reached an additional 15 to 20 million South Africans. There was a chat with Tando Tibete on, on 947, News24 covered it, Good Things Guy, and now we're talking about it. Mm. So it's one of those things where, of, a, of all the brands, you'd think something like a, a flower would, would fit better into the mix. But there, it's just this little mix on like, this isn't snow, this is pup from the sky. And I think there's something about the, our, our humor that connects us As a nation, regardless of how many different backgrounds, shapes, sizes, and cultures we all form part of. And the only way to achieve that is when people are constantly communicating and saying, hey, I saw this trending topic. I was like, well, it's in Casa. What does it mean? And then you explain it. And I think it's coming from a place of authenticity and vulnerability to say, I'm not an expert on every topic that's happening around the world. Please educate me if there's something funny if it's linked to a show, if Mm -hmm. it's linked to uh, an event, if it's linked to a meteorological experience, like what are things happening on our daily basis that we can potentially tap into? And fortunately, because the snow fell and it lasted for several hours, it made that piece of content even funnier because the snow became such a big thing a few days ago.
0: Yeah. The other side of this is like being able to do really great work very quickly. The other side is like, doing really good work over a very long period. And that speaks to consistency. How do you consistently do great work over decades, over years, over months where, you know, the digital age almost is like, oh no, if you can just like hit it on one day, you hope that it will last, but it really doesn't. Mm. Uh, How do you create consistently good work over a long period of time?
1: I think it's about the team structure and the dynamic. And then also how that team interfaces with the various brands that they work with. Some relationships can last a few years. Some might only last a year. And I think that the ones that have the ability to last longer, you have better trust. You have better consistency with those individuals that you're working with. And also, we almost live in this metaverse space in our heads. How you see a brand on a billboard is very different from how it shows up on TV, how it appears on TikTok. And I think our biggest blessing has been the adoption of TikTok from that 2020 period when people were locked down and they were starting to use Mm. and engage and see that they can create green screen and they can use music and and entertainment and bring it into that content. And TikTok showed us, and then obviously subsequently Reels, is that people are more obsessed with an insight than they are with production value. Mm. And that's the cornerstone of really good marketing is an insight and a premise. If you know what's going to Humor your audience. If you know what's going to give your audience goosebumps or even well them up and make them cry because there's such an emotive piece of content. For me, I'm not obsessed around the production value. Because I think that you can make something on a shoestring that can do just as well for a multi-million rand TV campaign. But ultimately, it's the premise and the insight that brings this concept to life and what will make it work. And for me, I'm a huge fan of performance. Mm. That's why I love working with influencers who have some form of background in performance arts. That's why I do a lot of work with guys like Glenn Beatum, and Pam, uh, Don with his stand-up comedian background. Like These are people that are used to thinking on their toes. They're used to going up on stage. And stage is one of the most thrilling yet terrifying experiences. You know, I also have, have a bit of a background there, but I'm a much better director than I am a performer. So I can articulate to the people that we work with, the performers, and say, why don't you try this performance or this take like that? And yes, there's definitely craft in that space. But I think it's about identifying where you need to craft and where you need to just move at the speed of relevance. The speed of relevance? What does that even mean? <laughs> Going back to the snow example, Mm. your window is very small. It's a very small window. As soon as those flakes hit the ground, this trending topic is pretty much over. So you've got to move so fast that you remain relevant while you've executed. Because the window for too soon, too late, and just right is like Goldilocks and the three bears. It really is. (laughs) You know, you, you mentioned TikTok and like the
0: influence of that platform, but you know, Just a couple of days ago, Trends launched and has grown to 100 million users in five days. How do you stay up to date and really understanding or having a deep insight on how these platforms can affect brands and where brands really need to show up, right? I do think that we're going to a place where brands have to be a lot more conscious about where they need to, you know, add their voice, where they need to just, you know, hold off and not participate or where they need to partner with creators because they might understand the platform better. So how do you really gain a uh, unique insight into how these platforms can affect different brands and how brands actually show up?
1: It's about personal experimentation. And when I say personal, it's either myself or members of the team. Like certain people are attracted to platforms because they like them or it's easier to create content. For me, my platforms that have been the most ones for my engagement and amplification personally have been the likes of Twitter and LinkedIn. And I mean, I've built my audience of Twitter over the last... 15 years and i've been on linkedin also just a few years later so probably like 13 14 years off the back of that and for me like i get a certain amount of insights personally on how the algorithms work like The fluidity and the spread that you get from the likes of linkedin so that we can go into a meeting and we can say to clients this is what we're experiencing on this platform this is what we've noticed from threads from the past few days these are the pros that we're seeing these are the cons this is the stuff that you've built up on xyz platform and this is where you're spending your investment and where your customers are threads is great because we've got this 100 million global users in y amount of days but ultimately You can't be all things to all people. So exactly to the part of your question where you mentioned what do you choose is dependent on what your resources are, what your budget and spend is, and what's generating the best return on investment. Because Mm. we love overlaying awareness data and comms data with sales data. And sure, some brands can shift into a threads world or they could shift into platform Y that's launching in the future, whatever that may be. But I think it's always important to make that calculated decision and say – This is where so much of our audience still plays. That's why for so many brands, Facebook is still relevant because Mm -hmm. you've got this huge base. You've got people that are comfortable there and they're used to the experience of seeing an ad or seeing a sponsored post and they know what that journey looks like. When it comes to WhatsApp adding, ads in the future or becoming more of a fintech platform, that will morph into a whole new experience that then we're not even sure what we're going to see and how we're going to be engaged with with brands. But it's probably going to be more of an enabler of purchases and running our lives through all our various touch points, whether they are joyful purchases or grudge purchases. But there's so much stuff that exists with your agency partner or your brand partner If they're doing a lot of the self-experimentation, they're the ones that are learning individually that they can come back to and say, this is right for your brand because your brand talks like this. This is not right for your brand because LinkedIn is very B2B heavy and this suite doesn't exist in that platform Mm -hmm. in an organic and authentic space.
0: Yeah. You know, we've talked about the heart and the insight and the thinking that goes into really like shaping these things, but how and what role does data play in all of this right you've mentioned a couple of times how you know these platforms and the actions that are driven you know lead to sales but how important does that become like Mm -hmm. the bigger the brand or the more organized
1: they are Yeah, I think data is hugely important and structured data is incredibly important. Mm. That's why I think brands that rely on a longer lead cycle to attract you emotionally and then bring you into that good old sales funnel and then bring you into the brand. And then what happens with you after you've made your purchase? Like, how do they deal with you in an after-sales capacity? Do they send you a newsletter? Do they send you a private email? Do they see, like, what is the thing that they send you? So, so much of that CX and that journey, I think, is still very untouched, especially in our market. And I think the brands that will continue to dominate and will continue to win the hearts and minds of people won't just be in a hurry to sell a quick thing to you for a quick buck. But it's to take you on a journey and make you part of a real authentic community. And I think we're we kind of going back to this, you know, you have these expansions and contractions in the universe. Mm. I think in social and in digital marketing thinking you have expansion and contraction thought processes as well. The, the process that we're kind of going back to is the world where we build better communities around pets, around restaurants, around your community and your neighborhood. You've seen it with Eskom's push. Yeah, they've built this community around. It's not just giving you load shedding scheduled. It's now interacting, allowing you to interact with your neighbors, yep. and to see like you can sell things like you would on a marketplace, or you can find out why there's a water shortage. And I think so many of these brands that are going to win are ones that build truly authentic communities that make you feel like you belong. We all yep. just want to belong, right?
0: Yeah, that's true. Just the second last question. You know. You've built a business, you know, over so many years already. What are the major challenges you'd say that you faced building this kind of business in South Africa? But also, what are the lessons that you've learned?
1: For me, there's this one adage that I think about daily. And once again, I mentioned Melissa earlier on the platform. But, you know, she said to me, it was such a great line. It was, don't let the fears of financial failure cripple you creatively. And Mm. for me... Like money is a scary thing. you know cash flow is the number one killer of all businesses, not just in South Africa but globally and there 's this real like understanding of finance that I think so many of us has a gap myself included and in the beginning, there was thumb sucking around what are we going to charge based on experience that I had and what something should feel based on gut, but as the business grew. It became more of a responsibility to understand what does this desk cost? What does that salary cost me? What does that salary cost me per hour, per minute, per second? And being able to really build a model that you can say categorically, I know that everything in this environment is costing me X and I have to bring in Y. And so many of us, like we don't even understand the basic principles of like margin. Cool. Mm -hmm. If I sell this for a hundred grand, how much profit am I actually making? Or am I just thinking that all hundred bucks is coming straight back into my bank account, so I'm sorted. Mm. And I think that's the challenge living in South Africa with you know, the struggles around mathematics and the struggles around science. They aren't made as attractive subjects. And if I just spent and applied a little bit more time to my maths at school, you know, I wouldn't have found myself in a position where I was basically having to self-teach with my head of finance mm. around basic management accounts. And here I am five or six years later in this journey of really doubling down on finance, really understanding margin, understanding all the jargon that comes with it. And off the back of that, like I feel I've become a better business person because I understand all the angles of the business, what I've got to rush for in a pipeline, what I've got to chase for in a forecast. How do we attract retainer businesses? And these things aren't easy. I mean, we were a very project heavy business when we started, but understanding for real growth, you need to attract... annuity income and you have to understand that the relationships with clients and long-term relationships are the things that are going to lead to success finally what
0: does the you know landscape in south africa specifically for marketing and branding what does that business look like in the next 10 years i mean 10 years ago even way longer than that you guys were at the forefront of really understanding digital and taking brands into this new world what do you think the next 10 years will look like
1: I think the exciting thing for the next 10 years is this real like segmentation between your large agencies your smaller ones and then like your one or two man woman band opportunities we've seen more and more acquisitions happening from global businesses most recently we've seen the activities around WPP around Accenture all these kinds of businesses with management companies and management consulting companies really attracting agency thinking and bringing that creativity in house for the benefit of their global brands and I think that there's a huge opportunity for small businesses, for those one or two man-woman bands, people with podcasting opportunities, people with um, a camera being able to shoot off their mobile phones. I think there's never been a greater opportunity for micro enterprise in the branding and marketing space. And I think it's incredibly exciting because that's going to disrupt You're going to have smaller brands having a plethora of choices of people they can work with for cheaper value that they can actually get better returns on. So I think it's going to have an impact on small business and I think it's going to have an impact on growing the category. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
0: To access previous episodes of this podcast, but also again access to other shows on our network, please visit lucha.com.